Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. So I, I once heard a South African pastor, Trevor Hudson, say these words, and they just stuck with me. Never forget that everyone you meet sits by a pool of tears. Think about that. Feel that for a second. Everyone you meet sits by a pool of tears. Friends, the book of Job is chock full of tears. So full of tears that even a quick glance at the book sends the tears of Job just flooding off the pages and mingling with the tears of our own lives. And you don't have to live very long to to become familiar with suffering. Each of us can name the names of, of those close to our hearts, good people, innocent people who have suffered terribly. For, for, for some of you, it was all you could do to get out of bed today, to join us for worship today. The weight of grief and, and sadness so heavy in your life. Why do bad things happen? Why is there suffering? These questions are, are among the, the, the greatest of mysteries of our faith. And the book of Job wrestles with them from cover to cover. And, and if we were to begin sharing the stories of our tears, we would be here for weeks, right? Yes, all of us, every single one of us sit by a pool of tears. Job is this long book and our text today comes to us near the beginning of it. Job, whom everyone agrees is this upright and this righteous man, a man with great integrity, uh, a man with a large family and abundance of land and livestock is is used as a fastball down the middle in, in this World Series game between God and Satan. And Satan says to God, Take away his farm and his health and his children. Take away all he needs. And Job's faith, I assure you, Job's faith will crumble into nothingness. He will turn on you, God, and curse the day that he was born. And God says, not, not my faithful Job. 
not my faithful Job. And with that, the drama of, of Job begins. And life does turn quickly for Job. It, it is not pleasant. He loses his land and his livestock sickness Sickness ravages his body and his children die. And in the moral compass of Job's world, none of it computes. It does not make sense. He is innocent of wrongdoing and he knows he is. Bad things should not happen to good people, right? And Job is certainly one of the good guys. And the emotional pain is overwhelming. And in the midst of his pain, Three friends doing what friends should do when a loved one is grieving, they arrive on the scene. And for, and for a week, the four of them, they just sit in silence. No, no words. They simply just sit next to Job with his pool of tears. And they, they don't ask him where it hurts. And they don't ask him what he needs. They just sit with him next to him, next to his pool of tears. It's this great model of caregiving and going to someone who is hurting and simply being with them in the silence, not trying to fix it, not trying to answer the, the unanswerable questions, simply just being in silence. Silence that makes space for the pain to do its surgery, right? Silence that allows for honesty and the right words to surface. For, for seven days, Job and his friends, they sit and they weep in silence. I recently read a, a memoir from a professor at, at Yale Theological who wrote about his, his own suffering and how others responded to it after the death of his 25-year-old son. And he writes this, Please don't say it's really not so bad, because it is bad. Death is awful. You think your, your task as comforter is to tell me really all things considered it's not so bad, and you just sit with me in my grief, but place yourself off in a distance away from my grief over there? You are of no help to me, he says. To comfort me, you have to come close to me. Come and sit beside me on my morning bench to know how I feel and what I need. For a week, Job's friends do that. They sit with him on his morning bench. Unfortunately for Job, though, it doesn't stay that way. One after another, his friends begin to speak, and they shouldn't have, but they do. And with their words... They, they change from loving friends to these amateur theologians. How dare you question God, Job? Surely, Job, you, mu you must have done something to deserve this. Well, we know there is no such thing as unjust suffering, Job. We cannot understand the will of God, Job. So you, so you must accept your circumstances and just move on. And those of you in the, in the depths of despair... Know how pithy little statements about God's will and platitudes of sentimentality, they never soothe a broken heart. And, and suffering comes through, through love, and, and love demands more than hollow words, right? More than quick fixes, more than quick answers, and Job knows this. 
And so after his friends have had their say, Job turns his anger, his suffering, and his questions on God now. And and for some 37 chapters, God rails against God chapter after chapter after chapter, refusing to let God off the hook. Job screams and cries, not as a philosopher or a skeptic, not as a bookish theologian, but as this lover, as this believer as one who's committed to God's reign and one who needs something from God. And what keeps Job screaming into the heavens, what what keeps him going in his determination is what he needs. What does Job need? Deep down, he needs to not let God go, but to hold God to God's promises. For Job... For Job is a Jew, and at the heart of Jewish faith, at the heart of Christian faith, is is the word covenant, that God and Israel and therefore God and the church are in this real relationship, a relationship of love that involves dialogue and learning and growing and offending and weeping and forgiving and reconciling. Most of all, God has promised never to abandon humanity. And, and what, does, what does Job need? Job needs to know if, if God can be trusted to keep God's promises. Nothing short of God's covenant is on the line at this moment, and Job will not give up on holding God accountable to what God has promised him. And Job's tenacity does not paper over his suffering. It is enhanced by it. It is in the midst of his suffering and his rage at God and his determination and his need never to let go of God, to wrestle an answer out of the Almighty that we, that we begin to see a, a movement in Job, a glimmer of transformation, a beacon of hope. <coughs> For, for 37 long chapters of this story, God is silent. Through all the silences and all the um, unhelpful advice and all of Job's agonizing demands and prayers and wails before God, God has been silent. But finally, God speaks. And, and when God speaks, God speaks out of this whirlwind. God's response is, is more like poetry than legalism, more more about danger and awe and beauty than the rigorous views of right and wrong that Job has imagined would be the answer. God speaks not of righteousness and justice, but of, of the foundations of creation and the song of the morning stars. God does not speak of innocent suffering and, and, and justice gone awry. Rather, God Ask Job about the water skins of heaven and the insatiable appetite of young lions. And God does not answer the existential questions of why, but, but responds with images of lightning and clouds and the cornerstones of the earth. And Job is convinced that his moral innocence, his, his well-lived life, should have warded off disaster because he believes in a world that is that is a manageable place run by a demanding but nonetheless predictable God who owes the righteous a good time and, and happy and healthy and prosperous life, right? 
And instead, God's involvement with the world expresses itself in this dramatic, unapologetic, almost incomprehensible delight in the creation whose quality is magnificence. God expresses power and freedom on a scale that is bewildering, terrifying, and yet beautiful. And and what does all of this mean for Job? And what Job needs. What does all of this mean for 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 Job as as God as Job needs to know if Job can trust God? Job asks these big questions about suffering, and God responds with this grand delight in creation. What does this mean for Job? It's as if God is saying, Job. You try to tame what frightens you, but but you can't without losing its beauty. God asked Job to look at the world from God's point of view. Look at, the, at a ravishing, dangerous world where only those who relinquish their, their personal expectations can live in peace. And, and the price of that peace is the surrender of, of our own assumptions about God, which are always too small, right? Too small for the magnificent gift of freedom built into this beautiful system. And and then God poses one last question for Job out of the whirlwind, a question that God poses to every person of integrity. Can you love what you do not control? More than anything, Job needs to know that he can trust God, that he can be assured of God's promises and hold on to them. More than anything, we need desperately to know that we can trust God and that we can be assured of God's promises, hold God accountable to them. But God asks both Job and us, can you love what you do not control? Is it possible to love completely without complete understanding? Is it possible to trust God, to love God fully, even knowing that God will not protect us from tragedy and pain and suffering? The book of Job never never does answer the questions, why do bad things happen? Why is there suffering in the world? The answers to those fundamental questions remain shrouded in mystery, nowhere even in the New Testament. Are the answers to those questions even given? Rather, the, the, the arc of the Christian story points not to an answer, but, but yes to a promise. Not the promise of knowing, but the promise of resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's promise that in Christ all things are held together. And there will come a day when everything will be made new and when weeping and crying will be no more and God will wipe away every tear. On the night before Jesus died, he he went to a quiet place and there in the midst of his fear and in the midst of his grief Jesus wept a pool of tears but on Easter morning God drank 
that pool empty and God will transform your tears, our tears of sadness and our need for knowing into this beautiful river, this promise that we can trust. I offer this to you in the name of God, the Father, in the name of Christ, his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Tear down the walls. Tear down the walls.